Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We have been doing a study in the Sermon on the Mount this summer, and we are getting close to conclusion. We are in chapter 7, the very last part of the chapter, beginning in verse 24. The, the theme of this series has been building godly discipline into our lives. And sometimes in the church, because of the notion of grace, we tend to think that discipline is something that we don't need to possess, that God just pours out His grace, we just sort of go with the flow, and everything happens as it's supposed to. Well, that's really not what the Bible says. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about the importance of the children of God developing habits that lead them toward a pure and unadulterated love for God. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been addressing various disciplines that he tells his disciples they are to engage upon. And he says in verse 24, therefore, in other words, based upon Everything I have just told you, and the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, is well known in history as probably the greatest sermon ever proclaimed. So we are wise to pay attention to the words that Jesus has given to us. And he says, therefore, based upon all of the words that I have given to you, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, what are the words that Jesus has given to us? Well, we've learned about giving, the importance and the manner in which we are to give as Christians. We've learned about prayer, that communication that occurs between the children of God and the Father God through the Spirit of God in the name of the Son of God. That's prayer. It's communication. It's fellowship. So Jesus talked about that. Jesus talked about the discipline of fasting. That is the voluntary refraining from eating or drinking or engaging in some other type of activity so that we can focus ourselves spiritually upon God and accomplish something that God wants us to accomplish. Jesus talked about the importance of faith in God in our lives as disciples. The importance of believing and trusting in His Word and living lives that reflect that trust. Knowing that God is always with us, that He will never leave us, He will never forsake us. And then last week, we looked into the importance of biblical discernment. That is, understanding that there is a difference between the light and the darkness, between good and evil. And this is the tricky part between what seems to be good but is mixed in with a little leaven, a little bit of evil. So we have to discern between what appears good but is truly, ultimately, evil. It takes the power of God be able to do that. So all of these things Jesus has given to those who are listening 
to his words. And he says to them, if you hear these words and you put them into practice, you're like a wise man. Now, I think it's very interesting that Jesus says that it's not good enough just to hear the word. The Apostle James said something very similar. He said, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, hear the word and put them into practice. If you do that, you'll be like a wise man. Now, there's this huge gap that exists for Christians probably for any person, but certainly for Christians. There's this huge gap between knowing and doing. I don't know how many times in the 35 years I have been a Christian, I have heard a message that has inspired me, that has pricked me in the heart, that has touched me in a profound way, and I walk out of the church service and I go right back to doing everything just the same way that I'd always done it before. Anybody else (laughs) ever experienced that? Sure. There is this big challenge between hearing only and hearing and doing. And that Jesus is saying that when we do, we reinforce what we have heard. And ultimately, doing is the important part, isn't it? But we talked about in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount how Jesus informed those who were listening that being precedes doing. Being precedes doing. You have to have certain creature qualities in order to do certain things. The birds of the air fly because that is their nature. That is what birds do. Fish of the sea swim because that is what fish are designed to do. Jesus says that in order for us to give, to pray, to fast, to have faith, to discern, in order for us to do all of those things, we must be something first. And that is new creatures in Christ. This is not about religious exercise. This is not about doing something because other people are impressed by seeing you do it. This is about being something that causes you, by your very nature, to do something. The Christian loves. The Christian gives. The Christian prays. The Christian fasts. And all down the line. So you must be blessed, Jesus says, or happy, or fulfilling of their being are those who. And then he goes throughout the Beatitudes. So being precedes doing. And then Jesus went through a long section there in chapter 5 of, of Matthew talking about the heart of the law. You have heard it said, but I say to you. So Jesus is addressing the heart of the law. Jesus is exposing his disciples to the fact that mere 
outward adherence to the law is not enough. But there has to be, again, as a result of that new birth, that being, there has to be something from the interior that causes us to keep the law. And that is love. Jesus said at the conclusion of chapter 5, love your enemies, for your Father in heaven also pours out good upon the just and the unjust. And he finishes chapter 5 with this incredibly challenging phrase. Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, if you're trying to do that, if you're trying to fulfill your purpose in life, the word perfect there in chapter 5 is teleos, which means literally a mission, a purpose. So Jesus is saying, fulfill your mission of love, just as your heavenly Father loves. It has to be the new birth in order for us to do these things with the proper attitude of love. So we hear the words and we begin to put them in practice because we have this inertia, this, this, this motion that forces us to begin to act because of the new birth, because of who we are in Christ, because we have heard the sweetness of his words and we recognize that these are words of truth. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. And when we put them into practice, it says we're like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had at its foundation, the rock. So Jesus says, when we hear his words, when we perform his words out of a heart of abundance, out of a desire to be like our Heavenly Father, we are building upon the rock. But listen to this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, it's interesting to me as I look at this parable that Jesus is talking to us about wise and foolish builders that there are so many, so many strong similarities Two men building a house. Both of the houses experience a great storm. The difference between the two is the foundation. What is the foundation upon which we build our house? And based upon our choice of foundation, what is the outcome After the storm, does our house stand or does it crumble? Of course, when we do those things that Jesus has commanded us to do with the proper motive, then we have built upon the rock 
and the house stands. When we fail to do those things, when we hear the words, but we do not adhere to them, we do not obey them, we do not have a heart that desires to fulfill them, the storm causes our house to crumble. Now, there's different ways to look at this. First, just in the course of our regular life. All of us experience storms, don't we? All of us go through those periods of time, times in our lives where the, the winds are beating upon us. The rains are falling down upon us. We think that everything is falling apart. A crisis is occurring in our lives of whatever origin, financial, relational, physical. You know what I'm talking about. You guys have all been there. Some of you are going through it right now. Some of you right now are being buffeted by the winds and the rains. Now, in a temporal perspective, when we begin to put into practice Jesus' words in the midst of the storm, the promise is that we will withstand those winds, those rains, as we build upon the foundation, as we perform his words, we carry them out. When that child is prodigal, that child whom you have raised to be a Christian goes astray. And, and you want with all of your heart to see them come back to the fold, to the sweet love of God. What do you do? Jesus' words tell us to pray and have faith. To believe that God has his hands upon that child and is hearing our words of concern and is drawing them back. That's building upon the rock. When the financial situation of our lives begins to crumble, we lose a job an unforeseen expense occurs. A medical emergency happens and we are overwhelmed. Do we begin to be anxious, fretful, concerned that there's no possible way that we can ever repay what we owe? Or do we continue to give as God has directed us, and trust that his word is true. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you trust that? Do you continue to tithe? And to give offerings, even when it seems logically, as Rodrigo's song said, logic says this is where it ends. I can't continue to give to the work of God. 
I got to do something different. Do you build upon the sand or upon the rock? In the storm. See, it's, it's, it's very easy to be a disciple when everything is going well. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't talk about building a house on the rock in the sunshine? That's not the true test. The true test is when the storm comes, when the financial crisis occurs, when the relational loss happens. That's when the true test of discipleship occurs. Now, the Word of God gives us many, many promises upon which we can stand as Christians. One of the best is in the Great Commission. Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So wherever I go, whatever I do, whatever my circumstance might be, good or ill, as I perceive it, this is the reality. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. And I know that. I don't depend upon my circumstances to tell me that. I know it because he promised it. I know that he is concerned for what I am concerned about. Cast all of your cares upon him, Peter wrote, because he cares for you. He is concerned about every little thing that happens in our lives. Now that blows our mind because we can't conceive of anybody having that much time or that much concern. But God does. He's concerned about us. He tells us, cast your cares upon me, for I care for you. In the Psalms, in numerous places throughout the Psalm, but I'm thinking of Psalm 50, verse 15. It says that he will deliver us out of the storm. He doesn't just stand with us in the storm, but he will deliver us out of the storm. And that's reiterated in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where the Apostle Paul writes that with every testing, with every situation we go through, God provides for us a way out of the storm. And the way out is always faith in him. It's always faith in him. Jesus said that um, when we trust him, when we believe in his word, the Father is pleased. So as we go through these storms, in every little situation, as we build our house upon that rock foundation of faith in Christ. The Father is pleased. And remember how I told you, we actually just read from the scriptures in, in Matthew, how Jesus actually told us that God the Father is watching us when we do think these things in secret. And he will reward us openly. He will reward us openly. Now, this is the ultimate culmination of this parable, 
that Jesus is speaking to us of. Because we will all go through the storms of life here on this earth. We'll have our challenges. But all of them culminate, all of them culminate, now pay attention to this, this is important. This is the key point of the message today. All of our trials and all of our decisions about whether or not to put into practice the words of Jesus culminate in judgment. As Christians, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As non-Christians, people who have not believed in God, they will stand before the great white throne judgment of God. So the storm ultimately represents the judgment of God. His judgment, his evaluation of our lives. Will our house stand under that judgment? Or will it be destroyed? The psalmist in Psalm 73 wrote this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure of heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And the psalmist goes on for several verses to speak of how the wicked, those people who have rejected God, seem to prosper, seem to have everything they want in life. Everything turns their way. And he continued to think that, he says, until he entered the sanctuary of God and understood their final destiny. How suddenly they are destroyed, swept away by the terror. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die. And then comes judgment. Now, I have some interesting data for you guys this morning. The statistics are in. They've been fully evaluated. And here's the result. Everyone's going to die. There's been some debate about that. But the reality is, we are all going to die. Unless we are alive and present at the rapture of the church, we are all going to die. And we are all going to stand before the judgment of God in one fashion or another, either as a Christian before the judgment seat of Christ or as a non-believer before the great white throne judgment that we read about in Revelation chapter 20. What are you building your life upon? Is it the solid rock foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, his words and obedience to them? Or are you building your own kingdom? Are you going your own way? Are you choosing to live a life that is directed by your own desires in opposition to what God has directed? You see, everybody wants to build something with their life. All of us want to build something with our lives. It's innate within us to accomplish something with our lives. 
Now we can be building the kingdom of God. We can be obeying the words of Jesus and receiving the resources that God has for us. And we will stand in the judgment of God because our righteousness will be judged by God as perfect because of the righteousness of his son which covers us. And the works that we perform will be judged as gold, silver, and precious stones if we build upon his words. If we don't build upon his words as a Christian, and you can be a Christian and not build upon his words, you can believe unto salvation, but really live your life for yourself only. The apostle talks about those people in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said those people, as they stand before the judgment of seed of Christ, will have their lives evaluated, and it will be wood, hay, and stubble. They will suffer loss, but they'll still be saved because they have trusted Christ for their salvation, but they have not built their lives upon the solid rock foundation of faith in God's word. And just as the psalmist saw, those people who have rejected God, both the gift of salvation he has offered through his son, Jesus Christ, as well as all of the resources he has afforded us through the promises in his word, they will be crumpled in a moment in the terrifying judgment of God. The storm will consume them. What are you building your house on? Is it this book? Is it the person that this book reveals to us? Or is it something far afield from that? It's a question only you can answer. But my challenge to you and to myself this morning is to take these words of Jesus and put them into practice. To begin to build that godly discipline into our lives. So that at that moment, that will occur for every one of us when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we see Jesus sitting upon his throne. And we have to give an account of ourselves. That's what the Bible says is going to happen. Did you know that? That you will stand before Jesus individually and give an account of yourself to him? When you, when you are able to say, Lord, I was not perfect, but I tried to do those things that you told me to do. I pr- prayed as best I could. I gave according to your word. I fasted. I listened to your word in order to discern right from wrong. I believed. We'll hear the words of the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. There's no, nothing I want to hear more than those words said to me at that time. I can think of nothing more devastating than to stand before Jesus 
and to have all of the works of my life washed away in the judgment, burned up in the fire, wood, hay, and stubble. And Jesus saying to me, enter into my joy, but you could have had so much more. You could have built so much more. But you didn't put my words into practice. This is sobering, and it's meant to be. It's meant to be a sobering thought. What foundation are you building your life upon? Now, perhaps up to this point, you have not been putting the words of Jesus into practice. That's okay. Today's the day to to bridge the gap between knowing and doing, to allow the Holy Spirit within you to finally have lordship and to begin to direct your life according to the word of God rather than the dictates of the world and the, the mores of the world. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day we begin our walk with him. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Here's where I want to finish. Three reasons why Jesus' words form a firm foundation. First and foremost, these words are supernatural truth. Supernatural truth. Given to us by the supernatural designer. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide us under the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This word is supernatural. It's not just a book that goes up on the shelf next to all of the others. It does something to us. And that's why it's a firm foundation. These words are given... as directions for the new creation that we are. When I was working in Mesa County, we had a new computer system that was built for us, and I was one of the testers. And I'm, for any of you who know me, I'm not really all that computer literate, but that's probably why they chose me. What would a non-computer person think of this? So I'm going through all of this, and, and I continued to, to give to the, the builders of this system complaints about, well, it's not doing this, it's not doing that. And invariably, they would send back to me a note that said, this works as designed. See, the problem was with me. It wasn't with the system. It was doing what it was supposed to. But I needed to... Think differently. And that's how the Word of God is. So many people read this this book and they're not equipped to carry it out because they are not new creatures in Christ. These words are designed for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So it's a firm foundation because given these words are given for the new life we have in Christ. And then finally, these are the principles, the practices 
that are effective not just for this life as a Christian, but ultimately it will carry over into the eternal kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God will go on throughout eternity. It never ends. We will be translated. We will be resurrected. This world will be made brand new. But there will still be the kingdom of God where the reign of God exists. The authority of God is in place and the people of God practice submission to that. So we get the wonderful privilege of beginning to do this now, in this life. Put these words into practice. This is why the words of Jesus, why they are a firm foundation. They're supernatural. They're designed for the new birth. And they are eternal in their scope. So I'm just going to conclude once again by asking you, what foundation are you building upon? Do the words of Jesus Christ amaze you? I hope so. They should. Begin to build upon them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful promise that is in your word. And we love you. We recognize that you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you and are the called according to your purpose. So the storms of life we go through now, Lord, sometimes we see the outcome of them. Sometimes we can understand the good in them. But ultimately, they all direct us towards that moment of judgment where we stand before you, where we are conformed into your image as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so I just pray for each and every person hearing my voice here this morning, that they would recognize, that they would be astonished by your word and begin to build their lives upon its sure foundation. In Jesus' name, amen.